Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited that you're about to listen in on another episode of the Made Possible by podcast. I wanted to take a quick second to let you know exactly what we do. Made Possible by makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provide a more effective way to share their stories of good. Now let's jump into the podcast. Welcome to the Made Possible by Podcast, where we have conversations around good with community-minded individuals. We hope that today's episode inspires you to go out and do good. Hello, and thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good. I am Tracy with Made Possible By, and we love to make good loud. Uh, We love to share stories of good, of businesses, individuals, organizations, anyone who's doing cool things in their community. And I say this almost every episode, but this is one of my favorite parts of my role is that I get to meet cool people who care about their community, who are choosing to invest with their time, their talent, um, just to get out there and care about other people. And I am so honored today to have Dr. Jeb, I'm going to really do my very best, Deb, Jeb, Deb, not to trash your last name, Shropshire. That's right. That's exactly Did right. I get it right? Oh, you look did. at me. I'm, I'm doing well on this early morning. That That's not usual for me <laughs> to to say names well and to do well in the morning. Not not my top skills. So Dr. Deb Shropshire, um, she is now the, is your di- title the director? What is your title? Yes. Yeah. The director of child welfare for Oklahoma Department of Human Services. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. So Deb, clearly she has a medical degree and she also has a master's in health and administration from the University of Oklahoma. Um, She's a practicing pediatrician and an associate pastor for the Children's Hospital at OU Health and Services Center. Uh, She joined the Child Welfare Department in 2014 and was named the director in June of 2019. And the key priorities that she has set for the child welfare system in Oklahoma since she began is to equip and empower families to provide a safe home for their children. When children enter the foster care system, DHS will strive to meet all of their specific needs and to ensure that every child and youth has a family and the support they need to grow and develop. So those are big goals, and we're going to talk a lot more about those. Um, Thank you for choosing to serve in that way, Dr. Deb. I know that uh, foster care is always a challenge. It's, you know, there's just... And we're going to talk more about this, but there's also there's so many needs out there and not always people to meet those needs. So thank you for choosing to step into that role. So, Dr. Deb, tell us something unique about you and something that brought you joy this week. Yeah, so those are uh, those are big questions. So um, I think one of the uh, perhaps funny things that I should share is that I actually um, I say to people, I don't actually like children. That's not quite true. They say, how can you be a pediatrician and not actually like children? Um, <laughs> what I, <laughs> I wasn't actually dreaming about being a pediatrician when I was growing up. I, I did want to be a, a, a doctor, but I wanted to be an ER doctor because um, I liked the pace and the uncertainty of what was going to happen next. And um, when I was in medical school, really fell in love with kids in foster care and fell in love with the not just the kids, but also the people 
the advocates around them who are trying to serve them. And I really wanted to serve those advocates and empower them. So it's kind of funny because like I said, I say to people, I don't really like kids. I'm not going to hold your baby, you know, or go do a bunch of babysitting um, or things like that. But I actually really, really am passionate about, um, like I said, those folks that are serving um, our kids. Um, as far as something that brought me joy, actually, uh, I just recently had the opportunity to spend a couple or three days um, at a retreat with um, my immediate team, um, our leadership of child welfare in the state of Oklahoma. And I'm going to tell you, first of all, it was just nice to see people. We've you know, done a pretty good job, I think, in Oklahoma at kind of managing coronavirus and, and vaccine rollouts and things that allow us to kind of spend a little bit more time together. And that is, um, has really been, uh, was really a, a time that was um, needed. But the other the other piece of that was just being around some other incredible humans who are doing great work. And there's I think nothing that brings me more joy than that, than getting to spend time with people who are servant hearted and um, who really have, um, you know, kind of laid down their career to to serve other people. So anyway, that was definitely something that brought me joy in the last week. Oh, that's great. It's always nice to hang with people who are like minded and who care about others because it's just it's kind of comforting in the sense to see that people who are out there choosing to live for other people it's just encouraging and just in this day and age i don't know listeners when you're listening it's uh <laughs> april of 2021 and so we're still just kind of getting back into seeing humans again. And I just did a podcast with some, uh, a group of people out of the UK and they're just now getting out of their third lockdown. And mm -hmm. you have to make a reservation to go to their pubs. And they said it takes like three months to get in. So we've been <laughs> really fortunate in Oklahoma that we haven't had three lockdowns. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. We're getting, we're getting back there to see people again. So so, Dr. Deb, I understand that Oklahoma DHS is in the middle of a special recruitment campaign uh, specifically for therapeutic foster care. Can you tell us a little bit about this specialized care and how it differs from traditional foster care? Yeah, absolutely. Let me unpack a little bit what foster care is. And there may be different words depending on kind of where you live and, and what you're listening, um, where you're listening from. But um, foster care in general is really... Um, a, a mechanism of, of families providing uh, homes, temporary homes or care for children whose parents are struggling with uh, things in life that have caused them to not be able to safely care for their own children. And um, in our state, we call it foster care. I think in, in many places, um, especially in the United States, that's what it's called. But honestly, this is a, a system that exists in many places around the world. Um, just with different names. But the idea is um, that um, at some point, if parents can't safely take care of their children, that the government has some responsibility to step in and to say, hey, um, we're going to take care of your children because those children need to be safe and well, and then help you, family, uh, get back on your feet, whatever that's going to take. Uh, in Oklahoma, um, and this is common across the United States, the majority of children who enter foster care have parents who are struggling with issues like poverty, um, neglect, substance use, um, domestic violence. Those are by far the biggest uh, reasons why children enter foster care. 
um, even though that's not as sort of always the the stuff that kind of makes the news and that people think about when they think about foster care or the child welfare system. Um, so within the foster care system, there's all these families. Some of them are relatives of those children who may be serving in that role. Others are people who are just volunteering, stepping in and saying, hey, I'd be willing to have a child in my home. And they go through a series of um, of processes for us to make sure that they're safe, that they're trained and equipped to deal with whatever kind of comes at them with these kiddos, as well as um, the different processes that occur through the court system and interacting with the child welfare system. But some kids need more than just a family, a temporary family and a place to sort of live for a while. Some of the kids who come into our system have an extensive amount of personal trauma, um, either because of the experiences they've had in their family or other things. Um, we also are understanding, I'm kind of a scientist because I'm in the, in the medical field, and we're also understanding that actually trauma passes down through generations. And so some of these kiddos may have come from families that had generations of trauma or communities or cultures that had generations of trauma. And all of that stuff carries forward on the shoulders of these kiddos. And as they enter the foster care system, that's yet another trauma, being away from your family, even if your family at the particular moment can't safely take care of you. So all of that stuff, all of that burden comes into that foster care setting. And we need families that we call therapeutic foster families. Um, again, there may be other names, but the idea is families who are specially equipped to take care of um, those kiddos who have a lot of trauma. And, and practically speaking, um, the way those families are specially equipped uh, may have to do with kind of the skills that they bring into a situation. So, for example, um, some of our therapeutic foster families may have been uh, therapists. They may be teachers or people who are in places where they're used to dealing with lots of different kinds of kiddos. Um, they may also be uh, families who just have a lot of patience <laughs> or a lot of you know, some families are just less, they're just kind of, they can roll with things a little bit easier than other families can. And we can actually equip them through a training on trauma-informed care and how to, um, how to approach uh, kiddos that have a lot of trauma. And, and so in the process, what we do is create, is recruit and create families who can, who can work with uh, some of these highest uh, needs, behavioral health um, and developmental needs. Uh, kiddos. One of the, honestly, one of the hardest, uh, most challenging groups of kiddos that, that kind of weighs on me um, that we take care of in our system are those kids who have both developmental needs and trauma, because often they have a harder time communicating what it is that they need. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's the space that therapeutic foster families sit. It's a very uh, unique, incredibly important space uh, in our system in terms of serving the needs of, of those kiddos while their families are trying to heal. Mm. Boy, it takes really special people to be able to step into a situation like that. I'm always so impressed when I meet those families. You know, some of the kids have physical issues, some of them, you know, emotional issues. It, it's, those are special how many therapeutic foster homes do we have in Oklahoma and how many more are needed to help meet the needs of children who are needing this type of a home? Yes. Yeah, so we typically only have sort of one or two children with this kind of need in a family kind of depends a little bit on that family's um, sort of circumstances as well as that child's circumstances. Um, but 
we've got around 120 children in Oklahoma who are in a therapeutic foster care situation. Um, we know from understanding the needs of the kids in our care that we actually probably need two to three times that number. So we would be uh, looking to double or triple uh, the, the the number of homes that we have over the you know over the the sort of near future. Um, now that's a big ask. It's a tall sort of tall ask for Oklahomans, but um, I will tell you from interacting with a number of the therapeutic foster families that that currently serve in the space. Um, first of all, I am in awe of them. They're incredible people, but also they will talk about uh, the lessons that they have learned uh, from these kids and how these kids have actually touched them, touched their families um, and what a difference it's made to them personally. So while I'm in awe of their sort of giving spirit, uh, the truth is most of those families will say they were um, they're thankful for the kids that they've that they've experienced. I love hearing stories like that because we think that we're helping them, but they're also helping us, right? There's a, it's a two-way street on those kind of situations. How many kids overall, like if you're looking at the whole big picture of foster care in Oklahoma, how many families does that represent? Yeah, that's a, a great question. So, Oklahoma is actually um, right now serving uh, between 7,500 and 8,000 children kind of in its child welfare system. Now, not all of those kiddos are in a foster home of some kind. At any given time, several hundred kids are actually back home with their parents. Maybe we're still helping their parents and they still have an open child welfare case, but they're actually back home. Several hundred other kids are in an adoptive home where they're going to have a permanent family in the future. Um, but we're, again, still serving kind of in that adoptive space for a short period of time. Um, and so not all of those children in state custody are actually in a, in a foster family, but many of them are. In our state, one of the things that's unique about us is that we actually really uh, heavily leverage um, a child's relatives. And not all states do that, um, but we believe that if kiddos can stay in contact with their grandparents, their aunts, uncles, cousins, um, maybe even a family friend, that that is often the best first place for them. So about half of those children are in foster care with a relative or a, or a family friend. And then uh, the remainder are in uh, homes of families who have just stepped up and said, hey, we're interested in helping out and in, in fostering children. Um, I'm always just amazed by it. even back when I was in medical school and I was kind of falling in love with this field of child welfare and foster care. One of the groups of people I was really struck by uh, was foster parents. I was interacting with them as they came through the medical side of kind of my life uh, through the clinic or through the hospital setting and interacting with these people who raise their hand and say, hey, I have a spare bedroom or I have, you know, not enough chaos in my life or whatever it is. And they're willing to step into this foster care space. And um, I was fascinated by them and really wanted to serve them well. And so I think there, there are a lot of, uh, of good folks out there who once they see and know that there's this need, that there are kids that the state is charged with taking care of and that we have to have uh, the community, we have to have people um, step in it with us to be able to actually serve these children and their families. Um, there's just a, a lot of really cool people stepping into that space. I actually think 
for many families. It's sort of actually knowing that there is an, a need. And then it is um, finding families who are in who are willing to kind of open their heart to that need and then uh, allowing them the space kind of in their life to step in, be supported and make foster care a doable part of the way that they're kind of operating their family in their life. Some of the coolest foster parents I've ever met actually have uh, their own kids. And I know one of the things that they uh, worry about is, you know, the impact of foster care, bringing other children into their home if they have children in the home. But uh, some of my favorite foster families, actually, it was their children. Once their children understood uh, that, that there's other kids out there who have a need who actually convinced their parents <laughs> to step into the space. So it's one of my favorite ways that uh, families identify that they step into fostering. So in Oklahoma, around between 7,500 7, and 8,000 kids, several uh, thousand of those are in a foster home. I love that kids are convincing their parents to bring kids in. That's a really neat thing. They absolutely do. One wow. of my favorite uh, one of my favorite families, um, they uh, had had a couple of teenagers, actually, this family did. And the teens articulated to their to their mom, hey, um, we have room in our house. We have a big house and we will. Now, they didn't have any extra bedrooms, but they said, we'll figure out how to share. We'll you know, we can do bunk beds instead of having our own private rooms and those kinds of things. And I was just amazed at actually the passion often of young people in serving other um, other kids and youth. Mm. That's encouraging. That's encouraging to me to see that because that's not a, a normal teenage response is to think of other people. And what a neat thing. I, 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 we love good stories like that. So what do you see are the biggest concerns that keep people from becoming foster foster homes and specifically therapeutic foster families? And how are you challenging that stigma? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I one of the most common things I hear from foster families, and I say that I, I say it that way because I haven't myself been a foster family. So the only way I know is to ask people who have. And one of the most common things that I that I hear uh, families talk about is being worried about um, a, getting attached to another child who then um, goes home or potentially goes to an adoption and the and leaves their family. And that that question of um, what what would I do if I get attached? It would be too hard to let kids go um, is a really, really big one for those families that are aware this this problem e exists. Um, and honestly, uh, what I say and what many others that have stepped into the space would say to that is, um, is, of course, in fact, honestly, as the child welfare director, I actually don't want you stepping into this space unless you're willing to be attached, because what these kids need desperately is people in their lives who get attached to them and who care about them. But attachment, like relational um, investment, um, does not require us to possess you forever. <laughs> I have a... Um, I have an 18 year old who is a freshman in college and he left home, uh, you know, uh, in the middle of, of COVID. And um, the truth of the matter is, as a parent, I prepared him for a long time to leave. I didn't prepare him to stay and always kind of be in my home. Obviously, we, you know, hope that we will always have a relationship with our kids. But the idea of um, 
of, of whether it's in friendships or whether it's in family relationships that we possess someone else is, is not a very, very good idea. I think the better idea is that we have periods of time where we are investing in people. And for these kiddos who are in foster care, uh, that opportunity to invest uh, could be short. It could be days or weeks or months. It could be uh, much longer. But I, there is a need for people to be willing to attach and to invest and to see um, foster care as that. And I do think it's one of the things that often um, makes people afraid. I think one of the other challenges is honestly, um, uh, especially for therapeutic foster care, uh, just the uncertainty of will I know what to do? Uh, what will the experiences of this child that ha- that's coming to my home or this teenager who's coming into my home? And by the way, I'm just going to make a special pitch for teenagers. Um, fo- finding foster homes and especially therapeutic foster homes that are really um, uh, passionate about teens is is kind of a little bit of a unicorn. But I'm going to tell you, as a mom of two teens, uh, I... I really have enjoyed my kids as teens. And so I think there are people out there for whom teens are not scary. They're not, uh, they're not uh, something that they're afraid of. And we would just say, Hey, uh, step into the space with teens. If you feel like that's a place that you can be at all, they're fascinating. I would much rather have conversations. We have all kinds of conversations about politics or about life or about the future. Um, And it's a much, it's a very exciting uh, kind of space and we definitely need those. But I think sometimes families are worried about what what am I going to bring into my home? What's this kid's experience? Will I know how to deal with it? Will I know how to interact? Um, I also think families sometimes are trying to figure out how this will fit into their life. I mean, we're all busy. Uh, that's the most common answer I hear when I um, ask people, hey, how are you doing? Everybody says they're busy. Um, we choose what we're going to be busy with. And foster care is busy. I promise you it'll be busy with worker visits and times to go to court and times to try to figure out uh, if if kiddos need extra help, such as therapy or things like that. But the truth of the matter is I get to pick what I spend my day doing every day. And um, and and so I think my sort of comment on that would be foster care is not something you're you're probably going to want to add to your already busy life more. You're going to have to prioritize um, what kind of busy do you want to be? And 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 the the families that I've gotten to work with who um, serve in this space will again articulate um, that this was a good thing for them to step into. And, and yes, it was busy, and yes, there was a lot going on, but there was also a lot of help. I would also say for those families that that found the most success in the space, um, especially going from what they were worried about to what caused them to be successful, um, having a good community around them made a lot of difference in being able to make it. Um, as parents, you know, that's true for us. Like my, I have relatives and friends who help make sure uh, that when we're running three different directions, somebody's picking up that one kid who needs a ride somewhere or uh, going to that after school thing that I can't make it to. And um, the same is true for families that step into fostering. There is definitely a need for them to build um, family and friends as a community around them to be able to do it. But being afraid that you're too busy and you can't kind of um, add one more thing to the schedule, I think is, is something that, um, that families um, sometimes keeps them from stepping into this. And yet I would argue that again, you're busy with what you choose to be busy with. And for some families listening to this, I hope that what they'll choose to be busy with is this. Hmm. Well, it comes down to people being important, right? I mean, all, right. all people, 
all these little people. Uh, so if you're listening and you don't want to do diapers, there's teens out there that need a home. If you are afraid of teens, then there's littles. So there's plenty of littles to do as well. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Tanya Ratcliffe. She is a friend of mine, and she has fostered. I don't, I don't, I don't know how many kids do they have now. Twelve, I think. I don't know. They have a lot of kids, but she. We've talked many times about how she's had kids that are sometimes in her home for three days or sometimes for three months, and it's always hard and um, when they leave, but she tells herself, I got to love on this kid for that amount of time. For this small amount of time, I got to love on this kid, and maybe that child will never remember them, um, but they'll remember feeling loved even for that sort of period of time. So it, it can tug on your heartstrings a little bit, but it's... I would say it's worth it. It's worth it to do that. It is challenging, though, to know that there there could be struggles down the road, but that's life, right? We're going to have struggles no matter what. Yeah, that's the truth. And there's a tremendous, I, I, I think the even the title, Therapeutic Foster Care, is kind of an interesting title because, I mean, it's the idea that um, this is a, a space and an opportunity to participate in healing um, for people. And we all, um, I I love Brene Brown and, and she talks about um, we've divided the world into people who need help and people who help. And what she says is we're, we're each both. There are times when we are the helper and there are times when we need the help. And I would say the same thing's true about healing. There are times when we get to help someone else heal. And there are times when we're the ones who need, who needs that. And, um, and so I think, you know, for folks who, um, who, you know, have the opportunity to step into this space. This is a time when they have the opportunity to help be the helper and be the healer um, for many of these kids. And you're exactly right. Sometimes it's a very short period of time. Sometimes it's longer, but we can probably all of us think of important people uh, or important moments in our lives that sometimes occurred in a very short interaction. Maybe it was a favorite teacher Maybe it was a, a maybe it was a camp counselor where we were only around that person for a week, or maybe it was a, a coach or there these people who come through our lives and sometimes they're actually not around us that much, but for whatever reason at that moment in time they make a lot of difference. And I tell foster families that all the time. It, it it's not about it's not always about the length of time. Sometimes it's just, it's just about the moment and that child being ready, that child or that youth being ready for that moment and you being kind of the right person in the right place. And if we approach every day, every interaction, um, short or long, um, like that, like we're, we're farming, we're planting seeds, we're um, extending opportunities for hope and for healing and for relationship. I'm going to tell you, we don't probably even really know what the long-term reward of that is. I think we just have to trust that there's a long-term re reward because some of those kids are going to move on and we're not going to actually know, but I have seen it. I've been doing this for 25 years now and I have seen it over and over and over again where, where kids or young adults come back and they talk about that person from back years ago. And often that interaction was fairly short and may have even seemed insignificant. Um, to the person who was on the other side of it. And so um, this is an investment space. Um, and people, you know, think about investments as, as it relates to money. But I'm going to tell you, this is a relational investment space, um, not only for us personally, but also um, kind of for our state 
and um, and wherever you know you're listening in in your community in your state as well. Uh, I I love the planting the farming uh, the planting seeds for hope. I love that picture because that's that's exactly it. And you're right. We've all had people in our lives who have come in and just planted a couple seeds and you may not even realize how important that was in your life until later on down the road. So what a great opportunity to step in, to step in for these kids. Uh, I love that picture. I've seen. What's good people. Hey, this is Hetty again. I just want to, first of all, let's give a shout out to Tracy, our great host uh, for the conversation around good podcast we also want to give a shout out to another one of our sponsors and that sponsor is plenty mercantile we love 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 the team at plenty mercantile they have been great supporters of our platform and so we're thankful that they are now sponsoring this podcast so that we can get great stories inspiring stories out to you the listener. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the story. It's been around since 2012. They have several locations. They have one in uh, downtown Oklahoma City in the historic Automobile Alley. They have one in Edmond at Spring Creek and then also one in Chisholm Creek. And uh, the downtown store has a great rooftop venue and a warehouse for events. So uh, please check them out. You can go to their website at www.plenty mercantile.com and there you'll also find all their social handles i follow them uh, the made possible our team follows them so we want you to go follow them as well and they would love to meet you so go ahead and stop by one of their locations and just always remember shopping uh at local retailers make makes a big difference all right Let's jump into this episode. I'm tossing it over to Tracy. When people ask you about your business, what do you say? How do you describe your products or services? Are you selling yourself short because you just can't put it into words? You're good at what you do, but it's not always easy to communicate how you're great at your work with simplicity. But now you have help. My friend Andrea at Strategic Hype will help you clarify your mission and communicate your value with a hype kit. This process will help you cut through the noise and share the best of what you do. We recently did a hype kit for Made Possible by and it has allowed us to really simplify our message in order to get greater reach. For details on all the good stuff you'll get out of this hype kit, email andrea at strategic-hype.com or reach out to us and we will personally connect you. I've seen Oklahoma DHS talk about being a hope-centered agency in the recent months. Talk to us a little about what that means. We we touched on it just a second ago about giving hope um, and what it could mean for the future of foster care. 
Yeah, so um, over this last couple of years, um, Oklahoma's Department of Human Services has really identified um, that in addition to being trauma-informed, which is kind of trauma-informed is kind of a buzzword in the mental health world, behavioral health world, and also in the, in the sort of social services world um, that reflects on what has happened to people and how that's playing out for them in their lives. Um, and it asked that question, um, what, what's happened to you and, and um, how, does that, how does that affect where you are today? Uh, but actually, the, the challenge with trauma-informed care, I think, is the idea that we're sort of constantly looking backwards. And we were really eager to say, okay, we see these things that have happened, but how do we look forward from that? So we do want to understand your history in context. That's trauma-informed. But we also want to uh, have a vision for your future. And that's hope-centered uh, for us. Um, it's not just a touchy-feely kind of uh, emotion. It actually is based on the science of hope, which uh, our state is fortunate to have um, a gentleman, Dr. Chan Hellman, who's a researcher in the science of hope. There are many folks around the country publishing articles about the science of hope. And the idea of the science of hope is that hope is not, again, just an emotion, that it's actually a cognitive function, meaning um, you can actually think about it. It can be created in your mind and that can play out in your behavior. And um, there's sort of three elements of hope. One is the ability to set goals um, that, that you're sort of looking forward. Again, it's a very forward thinking um, perspective. So setting goals. The second uh, piece of that is having the pathway to achieve those goals, having a roadway that you could actually, you've got something you imagine, you've got something you can dream about or, or want, whether that's a small thing, a short-term thing, or whether that's a longer-term thing, but actually do you have the roadway to actually be able to achieve that goal? And then the third piece of that is uh, the motivation or the willpower, the sort of sustainability to, to achieve that goal. And all of us have probably um, set uh, you know, New Year's resolutions, right? So like we're going to lose some weight or get in shape or get our finances in order, all these kinds of things. And, and resolutions are great and they're fine. But honestly, unless they're in a framework where it, you have a, a, a goal that's really something that matters to you, you have the actual means to be able to achieve that and you have the sustainable motivation or willpower to do it. Most of the time, those are a wish. They're not an actual, they're not actually something that's a hope so to speak. And so we see we're viewing hope as something that actually has building blocks and actually has uh, elements that we can contribute to. So as it relates to serving kids and serving families, um, we think about this in the context of how we work with families and with kids on what their goals are for their life, what we see our responsibility as in terms of clearing boulders or obstacles that are in the road, in the path uh, between them and their goals. And then um, we also see it as our responsibility or part of what we get to do um, to encourage people to on that day when it feels like, um, you know, the, the sort of obstacles are insurmountable to come alongside and say, keep going. Look how far you've already come. Um, you can do this. And to, in a sense, be the cheerleader for families. We're not alone in that. It doesn't just take a, a caseworker, a social worker. It, it takes actually the entire uh, community um, adopting this concept of our responsibility to each other in terms of helping um, 
individuals helping families and, and ultimately um, the result is a community that is hopeful. And, and the Department of Human Services is interested in being a hope-centered organization. We see our role as, we, we sort of laugh about it, but we see our roles as kind of being hope dealers, so to speak, that it's our job to um, to inspire um, hope in folks and to help them uh, be able to achieve those things that they want to achieve for their life. Well, without hope for the future, what, what is there, right? And some of these kids don't, didn't really get a good start in life. They, you know, we, I've heard the analogy of the baseball field, you know, you started on first base or you started on third base or whatever, but some of these kids started in the parking lot, right? So they need some people to step alongside and to help them even dream to have hope, you know, or even have an idea that I can achieve these things in life, especially these older kids who have, you know, maybe dealt with the situation longer just to believe in themselves and to know that they can do things. So uh, I love Hope Centered. That's awesome. We're all about community here at Made Possible By. We know that we can't live life alone. Um, how can families who are not called to foster support current foster families or children in the care? Yeah, that is a great question because I think we frequently will say, um, fostering is not for everyone and it's not for every time, for every season of life, honestly. Um, and, um, and yet there is plenty for other people to do. The first thing I, I kind of tell people to do is if you don't know very much about kind of foster care and this, this, um, uh, space within your own state or your own community to learn about it. Um, because you, it's really hard to figure out what your role is in something unless you have a little bit of knowledge of that it even exists and, and kind of understand it. Um, when people do that, when they begin to uh, hear about and think about the foster care system, um, then often when they look around in their own lives, they will run across people who are already in the space. It's very hard to go to the school ball game or participate in the PTA or um, you know, many of the other things that we're kind of all doing as part of life or church or wherever it is as part of life and not run across people who have stepped into this space, whether it's taking care of their own relatives or whether it is stepping in as a as a, a foster, a volunteer foster family. And so the so once you sort of know more, um, looking around to see who else is in your space is really helpful because that's the first people I would go try to figure out how to serve. Honestly, um, you know, when you know that other that other mom that you interact with at the school or whatever is fostering, um, simply asking, what can I help you with? Can I bring you a meal? Can I help with, um, you know, can can I watch your kids while you're going to the store? <laughs> you know, some of those things that we just need as parents are also what foster families need. Uh, and so serving those people who are actually in your immediate circle um, and having your kind of your eyes open to what folks around you are doing is a really important step. There's also a number of organizations in any given community. There are a number of organizations, churches, nonprofits, et cetera, who are already serving in this space. And so you can literally run a quick search on your computer and find uh, groups that are nearby wherever you live that are doing everything from providing uh, concrete supports to families or to kids or to foster families. We frequently have uh, families that foster families that uh, they may be available and they'll say, yeah, uh, you know, I'm open. My home's open. I can take a kiddo. But what age kiddo are they supposed to prepare for? 
What kind of bed are they supposed to get? What size clothes do they are they going to need? Um, what kind of furniture? Is it going to be a boy or a girl? I mean, some of those things, uh, families who step into this space can kind of narrow down and say, well, here's kind of what we think our family can serve. But the reality of a range of opportunity is very different than here's now a, a child or a youth in my home. I need people as a foster family around me who are saying, yeah, hey, I can I'll bring some groceries or I can um, I've got a, a bed or I can, um, you know, make the trip to Walmart and make sure you've got the things that you need or, or whatever it is. So even stepping into that kind of space, working with some of the local organizations that serve foster families, often that's what people are going to encounter is the need for con- concrete, practical things. Another space that's a really important one for us, and we actually do not have uh, nearly enough folks in this space, is the willingness to step in and be a respite provider. And what that really means is going through some of the same sort of safety background checks and training that foster families do, but saying, hey, I I may not be in a space where I, I can have kiddos in my home kind of in an ongoing basis, but I'm happy to uh, be available a weekend a month or something like that for for kiddos to come to my home. And again, that's another space where if you have people in your circle who are already fostering or kind of in your neighborhood, your community who are already fostering, being willing to step into that and say to them, you're doing a lot of hard work. Can I one weekend a month or however often one week so you can um, go and do the things that you need to do? Um, can I can I take care of those kiddos? Um, that's an incredible partnership. And it actually helps foster families sustain. We all, anybody who's got kids, hopefully has, you know, relatives, grandma's house or whatever, where you're just like, you know, I know for me, I (laughs) called uh, my kid's grandma a few times and said, you better come and get them because, you know, they need to be able to survive the next couple of days and I need to break. That's part (laughs) of being a family. (laughs) That's just part of being a family, right? And so our foster families need that too. And they have variable levels of support from their own families. They need you to also step in and say, hey, I'll be a surrogate extended family for your foster family um, and help you with some of those kind of things. So there's many, many ways uh, that people can step into this space. I would also say um, for those folks for whom generosity is um, kind of a thing that, that is really what they're about. Again, there's a number of great organizations that are doing incredible work around supporting foster families in communities across our state um, and even around, even across the country, um, that they survive, they operate on the generosity of the community. So there's just literally as many ways as you can imagine um, for you to step in and serve. There's really, if you're listening to this, now you've heard about it, there's not much excuse for saying, well, I don't know anything about, about that. Um, we're giving you, I think, uh, plenty of information to at least take a baby step. Um, And for some of you listening, I really hope that it begins a journey for you. I think foster care a lot of times is not a you heard it once and all of a sudden you've got a kid in your house. I think it's for most people, they would say they saw it. They took a step. They took another step. And and it's a journey that they can um, tell the story of. And so I hope for some of the folks listening, either this is another point on a journey they're already on or maybe this is the first um, the first part of that journey. I love that. You got to start somewhere, right? You got to start somewhere in the process. So can you, let's debunk a little bit some of the maybe misconceptions as far as say, hey, I want to sign up to be a foster parent. And you're not just out there on your own. And 
with no support as far as um, financial needs or childcare, or what if this child needs clothes? How do I get clothes for this child? Or how do I pay for childcare? Or we need some bedroom furniture. I know I'm a foster parent, so I know that there's needs, that there's ways to get those needs met, but I want you to be able to share that because uh, I don't want people to think that it's 100% their financial responsibility once this child comes into their home. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've, I've said a couple of times this idea of volunteering for foster care because we look at our foster families and say they didn't have to step up and do this. It's not the same as like hiring people who are stepping into a job, even though it is a job. We we uh, view our foster families as uh, people who have chosen to come alongside um, these kids and our system in, in trying to serve these kids and their families. But there is a great deal of support. Um, financial support and other kinds of supports to ensure that it's doable for families. Um, And so foster families, uh, once they are uh, certified, they've gone through kind of their whole process. uh, Then, then as children are, are in their home, uh, they do receive reimbursement. We know it costs money to take care of kids. They eat, (laughs) you have to have clothes and all of the basic, uh, you know, gasoline to drive them around all the places they have to go. And um, so there is reimbursement for foster families to ensure um, that we are um, making it possible for families to serve these kiddos. Um, There is for those younger children, um, daycare assistance provided um, because again, um, foster families kind of come in all shapes and sizes. We have single people, we have married people, we have literally just about any kind of age and demographic you can imagine um, steps into this foster care space. And for many families, um, they're working and they need to be able to have child care just like they would potentially for their own children. So child care is available. Health care access is a big deal. So being able to have access to um, to insurance, to Medicaid insurance where uh, children can access health care, behavioral health um, treatment and whatever other kinds of treatments are needed um, is provided as well. And then, uh, you know, kind of other things are, are available kind of on a case-by-case situation. So we have some kids that have uh, certain kind of specific or special needs um, that are different than other kids that we would work with families on trying to provide. In addition, again, there's so many wonderful groups um, in the community who are just operate in the space of serving foster families. And so we leverage and work with those community partners all the time around, um, y- you know, you're maybe going to receive some reimbursement for something, but it's 10 o'clock at night and you need that baby bed tonight, or you need that set of clothes for that uniform for school tomorrow. And many of our community community partners um, enjoy and do a really great job operating in that kind of some of that emergency needs space. Um, So we work very closely with, uh, with those partners to sort of in a sense, traffic direct, like here's a family that needs help and here's an organization that wants to help. And, and we do a lot of connecting, um, kind of social work connecting uh, between those families who are in need of something and, and, the, and the people who want to meet that need. So um, lots of ways that we are trying to support families. There's also a lot of kind of emotional, relational support. So we operate a number of different foster parent support groups, as well as uh, there's also a number that are just operated by, again, local churches or local other organizations. Um, so it's pretty common. Most uh, most communities across our state have some sort of ability to do foster care support. And honestly, COVID, because it has 
made forced us to be more connected virtually has actually made it easier for people to participate in some of those uh, support groups. In addition, uh, same thing on the um, we have there's been a number of groups that have kind of popped up around supporting families um, from a behavioral health uh, sp- uh, space for the family. So the idea being helping foster families um, meet their own kind of emotional health needs, not just the needs of, of that child who's in their home. And a lot of that uh, kind of work has popped up during especially during COVID, where really we can reach people everywhere. Um, so. Practical sort of concrete supports for foster families, financial supports, as well as um, emotional and relational supports to to um, be able to have people walk beside you through this journey. So you're not just out there on your own. You have people to help you in many different areas. Uh, I am always amazed at the number of phone calls that we receive from DHS. We receive a call from our caseworker and from our child's caseworker, and they always say, how are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need something? And the I, I want to think one of the last questions I ask is, what are you doing for self-care? So they're making sure that we are thinking that through, because as a parent, it's very easy that you put yourself on the back burner, right? And then you just go and go and go and go, and then you're fried, and then the whole world is falling apart, right? We have to take care of ourselves to be able to take care of other people. So I've just been impressed with the number of ways that they check in on us personally. And then at Christmas time, one of the organizations, like you mentioned, in different communities have different things, but we... One of the local churches, North Church, Oklahoma City, North Church Guthrie, bought Christmas gifts for every foster kid in our county. And we had so many gifts that we put some aside for birthdays because we were like, this is crazy um, that, that different families just took the, the age and what our child was interested in and just went out and blessed us that way. So there's definitely a community. There's definitely resources. So don't think that once you do this, you would be out on your own because that's not even remotely true. So Deb, give us your call to action, your motivational statement. What do you want to leave us with today? Yeah, I think, um, you know, take a next step. That's, that is my call to action. Uh, Now, again, now that you've heard, um, what you know, we're not responsible for what we don't know. But once we know, once we've seen um, that there's a problem in our communities, um, then I think um, it's in our um, it's right for us to take a next step and ask the question, what what am I supposed to do about this? Now, there's lots of problems around in our community that um, that I don't necessarily step into. So I know that everybody has kind of their own things that they are passionate about. But I, I think I would ask you to really open your mind and open your heart to considering whether this issue of foster care is um, is a thing that you uh, are supposed to sort of draw towards and take next steps around. For me personally, um, back 25 years ago when I was exposed to this as, again, a medical student didn't really, wasn't really going in this direction and really got exposed to the issue of, of foster care and the child welfare system. Um, for me, uh, once I had seen it, I couldn't unsee it and I couldn't quit thinking 
about what I should do. And I didn't have any idea 25 years ago, I'd be sitting here as the child welfare director. I'm a physician in a non-physician space. <laughs> Most of my work is not in a clinic or a hospital. Most of my work is with social workers in a, in a large government bureaucracy. And I couldn't have imagined then that that's where I would be sitting now. Uh, but simply what I did is when I saw the problem and it bothered me and it kept nagging on me and I kept thinking about um, kids and the people who were trying to serve them, then I just said, okay, what's the next thing I can do in the space? And I did that. And then it was like, okay, well, what's the next thing I can do in the space? And um, kind of took one step after another. And I, I would say the call to action really is open your heart, open your mind, consider what you've heard today. Get online. There's tons of information online. Not all of it's good. So, you, you know, you'll have to filter that. But get online and look around and understand um, the issue of foster care and at least what you can find. Ask questions. Look around you. Figure out who you can serve around you and just start taking some steps. And I promise you, if you'll do it that way, uh, you have no idea exactly where you'll end up. So you may have an imagination of what that will look like. You will be wrong. <laughs> Um, but, um, what I'll also tell you about that is, um, there's the opportunity to look back one day and be amazed at what you were able to, um, what you experienced, the people you were able to assist, to help. And honestly, again, uh, what that did for you as a human being. So, um, first step is really just openness. Um, towards this issue and then um, kind of opening your eyes as well, looking around and saying, okay, what am I supposed to do next? So that's, that would be my call to action. Hmm. I love that because most of our regrets in life are things that we didn't do, right? Steps that we didn't choose to take. So take that first step, get out there. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown too. I love that, that sometimes we need help. Sometimes we're the helper. So just think about where you are in life and that next step and, Maybe you can step into the helper role into a child's life and make a difference. So thank you, Dr. Deb, for taking the time today to share with us. Um, do you want to give the URL or the best way for people to get a hold of you all to get some questions answered? Yeah, the uh, the best place maybe to start is with is at uh, beaneighbor.org. And that's a site that will allow you to connect with us, to connect with our therapeutic foster care uh, campaign and to find out more. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Listeners, thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good. If you know of an organization or a business or individual that is doing cool things in their community, we would love to share their stories of good. Just go to madepossibleby.us, click podcast, and there's a place to sign up. You might want to tell them you're signing them up so they know when I call <laughs> what they're talking about, but we would love to share their stories of good. So don't forget to like, tag, share share uh, the podcast and to uh, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another story of good. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for another conversation around good. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on a story of good. Made Possible By makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provides a better way to share their stories of good. Go to madepossibleby.us for more information or to sign up to be a guest on our podcast. Now, get out there and make good loud.